faith in Christ. This is the center of Paul's message to the Romans and to us. And as our study leader, Dave Wurtzen, ends our study of Romans, Paul warns us against those who will seek to destroy the unity that this gospel generates. He reminds us of where we are in God's great redemptive history, reminds us about the need to serve Jesus with a faithful team, and then the Apostle closes with a strength-giving benediction. I don't know if you saw 2020 this past week, but there is a professor named Dr. Randy Posh, and he's a teacher at Carnegie Mellon, or he was. That's right near Pittsburgh. It's one of the really top-flight universities in the land. For all of you that are younger, uh, he's one of the elite, avant-garde professors in virtual reality. And he's done a lot of work with Disneyland, and he's been a tremendous, powerful force in uniting. One of the things that happens in academia is that we sit there in the hallowed halls of the ivory towers of highfalutin learning, and it never connects with the real world. And Randy was powerfully used as he worked in industry and as a professor. He united those two things. He was also renowned because a lot of us have been exposed to a video this past week that showed a bunch of students at Kansas State that were saying that as they sat in a lecture hall like you're sitting here today with a blackboard in front of them, that uh, they're not listening. They're doing text messaging, and they're on their computers, but they're not taking notes in the lecture. They're interacting around the world. And my son, Jonathan, that teaches at Georgetown University, was telling me that he sat in the back of the class as one of his student representatives is giving a lecture, and he vouches on that. A lot of students are doing a lot of other things. Maybe you're doing a lot of other things right now as I speak to you. So Randy was one of these professors in the middle of a generation that's really not listening that well to professors. Randy was packing it in. In fact, the students even brought their parents for one of the days where they had the results of all their projects. Now, according to Game Mellon, they have a tradition that when a professor is going to retire, they have the last lecture. And you can imagine when professors had a distinguished career that when they give their last lecture... It's just an incredibly powerful experience, and people come from all over. Well, for Randy's last lecture, over 500 people jammed the hall. They put it on the Internet, and now millions upon millions of people have heard the last lecture. What made Randy's last lecture so powerful is that it really was his last lecture because he had been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And he showed the x-rays, and he only has, according to medical silence, about four months to live. He's actually lived past that original prediction. But you can imagine his students, students that have loved him, students that have had their whole careers flow from his teaching, people in Disney, people at Pixar, everyone regathered to hear Randy give his last speech. And you need to watch it. I'd really encourage you to get on the Internet. And Diane Sawyer interviewed him, and uh, she can give you a quick summary of what he shared. He shares incredible wisdom. In fact, he, it reminds me very much because he's a little bit younger than I am, about 10 years younger, about 12 years younger than I am. But he told about his, like, one example, just to whet your appetite. He talks about uh, a big six-foot, six-inch football coach when he was a, a little scrawny kid. And after one of the practices and beginning in football, the coach just chews him out 
I mean, how many of you ever had a coach like that? Just laid into you, tears everything out of you, and you feel like you're even smaller than you are, even with those great big shoulder pads, you're really small. And Randy shared how after it had got totally chewed out by this giant of a football coach that he was scared of anyway, one of the assistant coaches, before he left practice, put his arm around him and said, Randy, that was really tough, wasn't it? But instead of saying what a lot of us say, that was too tough. He said, Randy, I want to tell you something. When you're messing up, when you're messing up, the people that really love you will criticize you and rebuke you, and they will confront you. It's when they don't care anymore that they let you just keep on messing up. Well, that'll just whet your appetite. He talks about brick walls and what you do for brick walls. Randy reminds me of an incredible, it's almost like a Greek philosopher. It reminds me a lot of Epidictus. Uh, Epidictus is a great Greek philosopher that teaches you a lot about life. And Randy's whole speech is about life, and he begins it by recognizing the elephant in the room right off the bat. What's the elephant in the room? As he begins his lecture, what's the subject that people don't want to talk about? It's his pancreatic cancer. So he makes a joke and says, I've just learned that when there's an elephant in the room, he just introduced the elephant, and he says, the elephant in the room is my pancreatic cancer, okay? But I want to share with you another elephant that was in the room, and interesting enough, Randy began the lecture by saying, I'm not going to talk about this. One of the things was he wasn't going to talk about his little boys that it would tear him up because he really wants to be able to be there the rest of life, and he's not going to be able to be there from a human standpoint. So that's one of the things he said I'm not going to talk about. But there's a much bigger elephant. If I was hearing a professor who's taught me all about life, he's taught me all about how to be successful in my career, he's been on the cutting edge of virtual reality, and he has been funny, and I think kind of a combination of the Dallas Morning News uh, religious editor said, it's like Tuesday with Maury, who was also a man that was dying that had a very powerful impact on our culture and kind of like Patch Adams all combined together. If I had a man like that, what's the elephant in the room that I would want him to talk about when I know that in four months probably he's going to cross over to the other side? Tell me, what's the big elephant in the room? Can anybody tell me? Even bigger than his pancreatic cancer, what's the really big subject, God, eternity. And Randy, right off the bat, says, don't ask me any questions about religion. Now, I want you to think about that, because it's very profound. That video has been shown over and over again, millions upon millions of times. People have written, and students have written by the thousands to have Randy share with them about life. But I want you to think about why is it in our culture that the one elephant in the room that we won't talk about is the most important elephant of all? I want you to think hard about that. In fact, I want you to realize if you watch Randy's speech, he actually does. He he shares one little thing. My dad was the greatest Christian man I ever knew. And I personally don't know what Randy's personal religion is. Maybe before he does cross over, there will be some incident to that. But I do know from watching his speech and listening to his lecture, he talked about the cards that have been dealt him, and there's nothing you can do about it. That's fatalism. That's what Epidictus would teach you. 
He also talks about yin and yang. He talks about karma. Those are religious teachings of what? A little bit of Hinduism, but mostly Buddhism. That's right. Who's coming to the United States in the next few days? The Dalai Lama. What I want you to understand is, is that you live in a culture where on a university campus, yin and yang are in, karma's in. He even makes a joke about hell. He refers to the fact that some of his academic work and some of his professors that were working with him were kind of like, it was like living in a hellish environment. But his dominant religious talk, like he says, I'm not talking about religion, but he actually did talk to those students about Buddhism and fatalism. What I want you to know as we close the book of Romans is that the Apostle Paul is another great teacher. And I would really encourage you, if you want to learn, like some of these other teachers, and myself included, and always wanting to grow in communication, Randy has an abundance to teach us about how you hold people's attention and what really counts in communication and, and what a teacher really is. The Apostle Paul is a teacher that doesn't duck the elephant. And he points at it and says, what's going to happen when you die? And that's what the book of Romans has been about. So if you're just joining us, I want to encourage you to go back and read the book of Romans for yourself. But I want to remind you what we started out with. In the book of Romans, Paul answers the question, how can I stand right before God when I'm dead? How can I be sure that if I'm a professor like Randy and I'm facing pancreatic cancer and I've only got a few months, how can I be sure that when I cross over to the other side and I meet the ultimate eternal God, how can I be sure that I'll be welcomed into his loving arms? How can I be sure that I'll stand right, declared not guilty, declared righteous? That's what the book of Romans is about. And what I want you to understand is that there's many people that will teach you false things about that. I want you to turn because the Apostle Paul's going to close the book today in Romans chapter 16, and he's going back. Let me just remind you that the Apostle Paul agrees in the book of Romans. So turn to Romans chapter 16 because he talks about the gospel again. And something that I want to remind you because I think often that believers uh, don't get this right, the most commonly accepted idea in answering the question that I would ask, how do you know you stand right before God in the end, is almost all religions would say that the good people are going to make it to heaven and the bad people are not. They're going to go wherever the bad people go. And there's all different ramifications of that. But I want you to stop and think, as you interact with people, the Dalai Lama would say, the good people are going to make it. And then he has ways within Buddhism that you are good. If you talk to Hindu, like Gandhi, you're going to be presented with a lot of information about Gandhi. And Gandhi was a good man because he resisted violence with passivity, but with an active passivity that set his Indian people free. And so Gandhi was a good man. It's basically the idea Gandhi is going to cross over the other side and be okay because he was good. Almost tons of teachers. If you listen to Oprah, Oprah is basically giving away millions of dollars. Some of you are mesmerized by her teaching every single day. She has one of the biggest churches you can imagine. But if you analyze what, what Oprah is saying, she's basically telling you, you're basically good. You're basically a great person. You can make it. 
And if you'll only do enough good things, you'll be okay on the other side. Before you say, no, 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 that's not true. The Apostle Paul actually concedes that reality. Good people go to heaven. Bad people go to hell. That's what Paul says. But he has one fatal observation. That your society, your friends, a lot of you just totally ignore it. It's the big elephant in the room. We say all over the United States of America, good people go to heaven. And we basically hold that everyone's good. And the Apostle Paul tells us, and this is the big message of the book of Romans that is often missed, is the Apostle Paul says none of us are good. And that's the truth. Every one of you in this room has a fatal flaw, and I'm included. For all have sinned. How many of us have sinned? Oprah sinned. Gandhi sinned. Professor Posh has sinned. I have sinned. For all have sinned. And we fail to fulfill what God created us for, which would be to reflect him to be like him. And the great news of the gospel is that it's really honest. The Dalai Lama, for example, comes across as a really smooth, intellectual, scientific, very interesting, mysterious man. But what about the fact that Chinese have invaded his territory with great violence of murdering thousands of his people? But there's also Tibetans that are fighting back. Where did all of that conflict come from? And is it really just neutral as Buddhism would teach us? That there's really no ultimate good or bad? That it's really just a neutral thing? Even the Dalai Lama is not going to tell you that it's a neutral thing in Tibet. As children and women and people are mowed down and hurt. But what the Dalai Lama is not going to tell you is that that evil flows from deep inside of us for all of sin to come sure the glory of God. And we need to acknowledge that. We're not going to conquer it by training, by meditation, by learning. Instead, we need to come to a place of total honesty where we just admit that we're sinners. That's the good news. And then if you look at Romans chapter 3, verse 23, which is, and verse 24, which is the heartbeat of this, but just turn back over there because I want to underline this before we look at Paul's close, because this is the centerpiece. And if you remember this, this is the heartbeat of everything the apostle Paul is telling us. In Romans 3, 23, he says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But then he says, and are justified. There's where I get the idea that you stand right before God, that you're declared innocent before God, that you are declared right before God. How? Freely, by his grace. And it's provided through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. Jesus, divide, Jesus redeemed us from the slavery to sin. God presented Jesus as the sacrifice of atonement, which would cover our sin, which would pay the bill for our sin, the ultimate sacrifice that would forever end sacrifices through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice. God doesn't wink at our sin. He doesn't wink at the sin of the Old Testament, doesn't wink at any of our sin. Because in his forbearance, he left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. 
that he did it to demonstrate in the present time his justice so as to be a righteous, holy, just God. That's the idea that he might be just. And the one who justified declares right those who have faith with Jesus. Do you have faith in Jesus today? Do you have faith in his cross? Do you have faith in his resurrection? If you do, based upon that trust, you are declared right before God. And when you give your last lecture... You can stand before your class, teach them all about Little League football, teach them all about how you had to overcome bad GRE scores and a lot of other stuff and how you kept going and how you learned how to use creative techniques. But you'll be able to close the class and say, but there's one more thing I want to tell you. I want to tell you about how to cross over the other side and land safe. It's because I've recognized the reality no matter how much I might use my genius, and no matter how happy I might be, and no matter how much this life might be filled, there's also been a bad person inside of me, a sinful person, a prideful person. And I realized that there was nothing I could do to pay for that sin, and that's why I came to the only person that's ever come to this planet that could handle my sin. And I know I'm going to land safe on the other side because I'm trusting the one man who died and beat it. And I want all of you students to know that I love the Lord Jesus and he's the way, the truth, and the life. There are professors that testify like that. And I pray with all my heart that maybe Randy will prove, we need to pray for him, that maybe if his dad really was a Christian man, that he'll be grounded or maybe return or maybe express before the millions what it means. Now, the reason I've outlined this so strongly is that's the gospel. The bad news is that we've got a fatal disease. The good news is Jesus has cured it through his cross and his resurrection. What Paul closes with is some words that we often ignore is the fact that there are those that will teach us contrary to that good news. And they're going to use very great, powerful tools to even do it. Turn back to Romans 16 and let's look at how the apostle Paul closes. Beginning with verse 17. He says, I urge you, same word that he used in Romans 12, 1 about, I beseech you, therefore, my brothers and sisters. And the word brothers, remember, he's been, he just mentioned Priscilla, and he mentioned several women in the passage previously, so all you ladies are included. I'm not just making that up, but the Lord says, I urge you, brothers, and he uses brothers to include all of us here. I want you to watch out. I want every one of you to keep your eyes open. One of the things I want to get across to you is you need to look carefully and listen carefully to the teachers who are teaching you, including me. Watch out for those who cause divisions. You say, Dave, how do I know when someone's not a true teacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Number one, someone that is teaching false doctrine will be a divisive person. They'll always have their little group. Through the years as I think back, there are those teachers that join us and move among us and that you get exposed to that unite us. They cause us to realize the body of Christ. There are also teachers that want to have their own little circle and their own little group, and they begin to move the unsuspecting away from the unity of the body of Christ. So watch out for those that cause division. And Paul is saying, you need to expect it. As you grow in the Lord, you need to understand that there's going to be times where there's, there's great divisiveness, that there's teachers that are trying to pull us away from the truth of the gospel. They're going to put stumbling blocks in your way. I want you to listen to me. 
Your life depends. I've been, been ministering here for almost 35 years. So I can look back over men and women that I started out with years ago. Some of them used to rejoice with me. They used to learn with me. They used to pray with me. They challenged me about the gospel of Jesus Christ. But they made decisions where they started walking away from that gospel. They started following other teachings. They became enamored and their ears began to listen to other voices rather than the voice of the Old and New Testament. Well, you can look back for 35 years and see where that journey goes. And it's a very powerful thing. You can stumble. And when you stumble, your kids experience the devastating effects of that. You experience the devastating effects of that. Everyone around you does. As your pastor teacher, I plead you, if the Lord calls me home anytime soon, you need to hang on to the book of Romans. You need to hang on to the gospel in the midst of a culture that holds that the randy posture of the world have incredible insight and they can teach you so much. And the big subject we don't talk about is how you land right on the other side because that's a divisive subject. I want you to be a church family that says, no, we've had the living God send his one and only son into the world. We know how to land safe on the other side. And that's the most important question there is. Who cares whether you learned from a coach when you were a little kid? Who cares whether I was successful on my GREs? Who cares whether I did get into graduate school? Who cares that I taught students for a lifetime? If we just turn into dust and that's all there is, what hope is there? Do you understand that? It's not a bigoted question. It's not a, a, an elephant that you shouldn't talk about. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the most precious teaching there is. And I want you to believe that. You're not being intolerant. You're not being bigoted. People are going to attack you for it. But it's the most precious truth. And it means that Tommy Hobson is safe on the other side and I'll see him again. Al Bauckham and Mary Jane are safe on the other side. The people that I started out with, I taught year after year after year. They landed safe right here in this auditorium. I was able to tell you they came to know Jesus. They admitted that they were sinners. And they were born again into God's family. And they walked with Jesus. And Jesus trains their life through the power of resurrection. And they're now safely home. That's the greatest, most precious good news there is. And we have powerful false teachers that are telling you to hope in other things and believe in other things. And the Apostle Paul is saying, don't listen to them. He says they will cause division, they'll put obstacles in your way, and you'll stumble. And it's contrary to the teaching you've learned. Keep away from them. For such people are not serving our Lord Christ. But their own bellies, their own appetites, they're living just for the pleasures of now, like good restaurants is, a, is a, the symbol, and then it's extrapolated, that we're telling you just to live. Kids, you are being taught that the meaning of life is just the good food you can have, the good trips you can have, the good experiences you can have. I got news for you. It ain't enough. There's going to come a time, and I've been with tons of people in the hospital, where steak dinners didn't mean anything to their belly anymore because they're being fed through a tube. And if there's nothing after that, then we're of all men most to be pitied. But there is. The reason I don't live for my belly, though I might look like I do, <laughs> is because I've got a Savior that's going to fulfill my passions 
holy passions forever and ever. Amen. Love, joy, the fellowship that we have here in this room, the love of the body of Christ, happiness, peace. It's going to last forever and ever. So I can walk with people. We can go through hard times, age together, go through illness together. We've only just begun. That's why we don't listen to people that tell us that the meaning of life is just to fulfill your own internal desires. And if you do that, you've lived a meaningful life because desires, your desires aren't enough. You want to connect with the one that gave you those marvelous passions and he wants you to use them for his glory. And if you live for him, if you let the gospel transform you, then you're going to have those pleasures forevermore. In his presence is pleasures forevermore. That's why the Apostle Paul says, don't listen to the false teachers. It says, for such people are not serving our Lord Christ with their own appetites. By smooth talk. And the idea there is, is talk that's eloquent, talk that is very easy to put down, and also, the second word is a word that would be used for that I, it's, it's word that flatters you. Watch out for teachers that are flattering you, that make you feel so good about yourself. You all know salesmen that come on to you that are insincere, that make you feel like you hung the moon and then you bought a car that you shouldn't buy. Now, there are good car salesmen right in our church. I'm not picking on you guys or you girls. But you all know someone that, that, make that, uh, that strokes your ego and how, how, how powerful it is. The Apostle Paul is warning, be careful about that. Be careful about the person who, who blesses you and flatters you. They deceive the minds of naive, open-minded people. I don't want any of you to be naive about scriptural truth. That's why our church family opens this book. It's why we want to challenge you to study it. Because that's the only way that you can move from being a naive, open-minded person. I want you to be able to watch Oprah. And I want you to discern what she's telling you. I want you to see the incredible communication skills she has. But I want you to hear what she's saying about the human condition. I want you to, I want you to be a young person that hears and watches Randy Posh. And you listen to what he says. But you don't just get mesmerized by the skill. You don't just get mesmerized by all that's taking place and say, ah, oh, that's a really, you know, we just need to be open-minded and tolerant. That you're a critical thinker, that you understand that there is a teaching that the apostles has revealed, and, it's, and things that are contrary to what the Lord Jesus Christ is saying is, is dangerous to you. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying. Beware. It said, by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the mind of naive people. I want you to do something for me this week. I want you to think about the teachers that you listen to in your own life. And I want you to think about how you respond to them. And here's some questions I'd like you to do. In fact, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but how many of you watch Oprah? Okay, this is what I want you to do. Watch Oprah. Go watch Randy Potch's lecture. And I want you to ask these questions. Think about the religious spiritual teachers that you listen to and read. Write their names down. And then respond to these questions under each one of the influential spiritual leaders you have listened to. What do they tell you about evil and its role in my life? You need to ask everyone. I don't care if you're listening to me. I don't care if you're listening to Joel Olstein. I don't care if you're listening to Andy Stanley. And I'm mixing up really good teachers with people that I would, that would say I'm not so sure they're good teachers. 
and his father, Charles Stanley, Chuck Swindle, every teacher that you listen to, including me, you need to ask yourself, what do they tell me about evil and its role in my life? What do they say is the solution to the problems that I face? What do they say is the solution to the problems that I face? Do they ever warn me about God's just judgment against me when I sin? Who do they say Jesus is? Do they ever teach me the meaning of words like redemption, justification, atonement, righteousness, and holiness? Do they say that Jesus Christ is the only Savior, the Savior of the world, the only hope? If you take those questions, it will powerfully help you as you're listening to teachers. And you're responsible. The Lord has made every one of you in his image. You can read the book of Romans and you can understand it and it can change your life. Not something very positive. The Apostle Paul just talked to us about the dividers and he's given us a warning against those that divide us. Now he talks to us about the uniters and he ends in a very powerful way. He talks about the fact that the obedience of the Roman believers is known all over the world. Look what he says in verse 19. Everyone has heard about your obedience. So I'm full of joy over you, but I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. My prayer, and this is something we could all join in together, I want to pray that when you hear that a person is a believer and they're a part of Midlothian Bible Church, I want the next statement mean to be that, that we think of is they obey Jesus. Now you say, well, Dave, the book of Romans is about putting faith in Jesus. Yes, it is. But Paul started the book in Romans chapter 1, verse 5, saying that the purpose of this book is to bring you to the obedience of the faith. And he closes now by saying that the Roman believers, their obedience is known all over the world. I want to make it really clear that the gospel that Paul is talking about is not a gospel where you just say a magical formula. Jesus died for my sins. He rose again. I believe. I trust him. Come into my heart. I just say those words, and it doesn't connect with my inside. It's just like a mantra that I say, like in Buddhism or Hinduism. That's not what the message is that Paul's saying. Paul's saying that you've met Jesus, a person, the God-man. He explains to you who he is. He confronts you with your sins, and he talks about the fact that you're a sinner. And what it means to put faith in Jesus is that you're really convicted about your sin. And you're convicted about your lost condition. That's why he spent so much time saying that all of sin comes short of the glory of God. What it means to believe in Jesus is that you actually do trust in him. You depend upon him. Not just saying words, but deep in your soul, you say, I'm going to depend upon Jesus' death for me. And I'm going to depend upon his resurrection. And then you, you invite him, you receive him. Jesus comes to live personally in your life. And if that really happens, then the Spirit of God lives within you and he moves you towards obedience. You need to start doing simple things like reading the Bible consistently, like praying consistently, like when you blow your top, You can't just do it gleefully. It breaks you. It destroys you. You cry out to Jesus to change you. If you lie, you can't just lie and forget about it. 
You have to let the Holy Spirit make you move back into intimacy with Jesus. If you look at pornography, you can't just do that year after year after year and nothing happens in your life. You need to go back to Jesus. It's a relationship. It's a living relationship. And resurrection power is exploding in your life. And some of you are saying, well, it doesn't work. People tell me all the time, well, it doesn't work. I've tried it. No, you haven't tried it. I've never met anyone yet that comes up to me in my office and says, Dave, I want you to know, I read God's word every day. And I listen to Jesus. And I let him expose what he's saying in a book like Romans. I read a few verses, and some of them don't understand, but I ask the Holy Spirit to help me understand some of it. And I'm listening really carefully, and then I have a time of prayer where I talk to God, and I ask God to really help me to obey it. And I make some simple decisions based upon what I read in the book of Romans about some simple thing that I'm going to do through the power of the Holy Spirit, and I really do work on that. And when God's Word exposes my sin, whether it's jealousy or envy or pride, I really come to the Spirit. I get down on my knees, and I ask the Holy Spirit to really work in my life. I want a divorce. I'm going to leave my kids. It don't happen. What does happen is people that do a lot of talking, but nothing ever happens with obedience. And I want to challenge you. The book of Romans has called you to the obedience of the faith. And it really works. My dad wasn't perfect. My mom wasn't perfect. But they lived a lifetime. From the time my dad was 18 years of age until in his 80s, my dad read this book every day. And he prayed and did what I was saying. And my dad was far from perfect. But I want to know it's his son. My dad showed me Jesus and his transforming power. My mom had one nervous breakdown after another. All they could give her was Valium because that's the only thing they had. She had all kinds of emotional problems. But my mom made decisions to believe Jesus. She was really saved as an 18-year-old kid. And she overcame all those psychological problems, all those emotional problems. And she died and as a son, I could go to her funeral, and the place was filled with unbelievers that she had presented the gospel to because she was real. But I want you to know my mom, as she really began to get her life turned around, she obeyed. Like this book tells us that we need to care for the elderly. So my mom, in her early 60s, began to reach out to those that were older than she was. And she would meet with them and make sure that their needs were taken care of in their homes. And she got out of herself and she began to care for them. And she took them all over the Adirondacks. And she would go downtown and get to know even the people they put gas in her car. And she would befriend them and she would try to touch their lives for Jesus. This really works because I covet that we just have the generations keep multiplying. And we can only do this as a team. The Apostle Paul in the next section does what he did in the previous section. He talked about Timothy. He talked about Tertius. He talked about some people that, that you don't know, uh, that I hardly know. That we, In fact, this is the only section of the book, like Cortus at the end of verse 20, uh, 22. Erastus, 
I want to talk about Erastus just for a second. Erastus in Corinth is like the city secretary, either involved in keeping the books of the city, which was not viewed in Roman times as a really highfalutin job like Kim has in our church. But I want you to know that there is an inscription. We actually have a marble inscription from Corinth that says Erastus, who was now like the city manager of Corinth, he donated this stone. And so I want all of you business people, it's one of the passions of my heart, both men and women. Erastus is a man like you, just working for the city of Corinth. So influential. The Lord blessed his career that he probably became the head of the whole city. He was a believer. It talks about Gaius in this section. He was the, in Corinth, he was the first man that was baptized by Paul. His name was also probably Tertius Justus. And he was the man who had a large enough house that when Paul got kicked out of the synagogue in Corinth, he could go next door to the house of Tertius Justus and they could have the church born in that home. What I want to do is I want to bless all of you. We have lots of groups that are meeting in homes. We have lots of you that are having people in your homes. A lot of you are working for the city government. You're working all over the area in all different vocations. I want you to see that the book of Romans didn't just live in the hearts of preachers. It lived in the hearts of the businessmen and women. And that's why Paul can close with this incredible benediction. And this would be my prayer as we close the book of Romans. As a pastor teacher... This is my heart. Now to him who was able to establish you by my gospel, that's the Apostle Paul's gospel, and I want it to be Melothian Bible Church's gospel. It's the proclamation, it's the declaration of Jesus the Savior, the Messiah Christ. According to the revelation of the mystery that was hidden long ages past, we've taught you about his story. We've taught you what Paul says in this section about soon Satan will be crushed under our feet. That's Genesis 3.15. And we've taught you in Midlothian Bible Church about everything flows out of Genesis 3.15. The mystery of this redemption, the mystery of God's conflict with evil, the mystery that was hidden for long ages, but now it's been revealed. You live in a world where the lights have been turned on. Jesus has come. It's been made known to the prophetic writings. The Old Testament predicted Christ would die. He would rise again. He would be the Savior of the world by the command of the eternal God so that all nations might believe and obey him. There's the obedience again. To the only wise God be glory forever and ever through Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, I just want to pray that Midlothian Bible Church would never leave the good news that's so clear in the book of Romans. I want to pray for Professor Posh. I want to pray for his family. I want to ask you, especially for his wife and his kids, and I pray, Lord, that you would comfort them. I'd ask you, Lord, that you would help Randy not to trust in a syncretistic, modern combination of Greek philosophy and Buddhism and the faiths. Oh, dear Lord, I would pray that before he takes his last breath, that I'll meet the Savior who gives us our breath, the Savior who breathed into our nostrils the breath of life. I'd ask you, Lord, for anyone that's here that's never allowed Jesus not only to give them physical life, but 
allow Jesus to give them spiritual life that will last forever, that can beat pancreatic cancer, that can beat heart problems, that can beat even the aging process and give us a life and one day give us a resurrection body that's going to last forever and ever and ever. Oh, Lord Jesus, I would pray for anyone that's listening to this close of the book of Romans. I pray that your spirit would help them to cross over that line and trust in Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.